Well, we are now up to meditation itself. What is this strange state or level of awareness which is meditation? What is this act of meditating? What is the meditative state, the experience of the med meditative state that, uh, uh, that, that we are trying to discover or find out? <clears throat> Remember, consciousness or awareness is a mental activity. It's important to know. Awareness itself is a mental activity. It's one of the activities of the mind, as I had mentioned when we talked about mind. The levels of, of awareness, of course, are the levels of the mental activity called awareness. We are now on the fourth level of consciousness or awareness, which is a mental activity, which of course is a faculty of mind. Now, what is meditation? Meditation is what I call super-focused awareness. In other words, there is no mental interference as the same by contemplation. In other words, just, by con just as by contemplation, the same is true of meditation in terms of the cessation or the disappearance of all extraneous stimuli. There is no more interference or intrusion of extraneous mental phenomena. In other words, there is no more mental activities, no more thoughts, feelings, or images that intrude themselves on the mind. There is also no more sensations, whether it be bodily or uh, sensory. All this disappears in the meditative state. The person is actually able to control himself and keep these things out of the mind. There is no more interference or intrusion from the other areas of the mind. <coughs> In other words, the mental static that a person always feels is gone in the state of contemplation and certainly is gone in the state of meditation itself. <clears throat> what then does a person experience? What meditation is, it is turning up the focus of awareness. That's really what it is. In other words, instead of working on removing the external or the extraneous mental stimuli, the sensations and other mental activity, the person now focuses awareness to an incredible extent. He turns up the dial of awareness, not merely removes the extraneous mental activity and sensations. In other words, there is an intense focused awareness and that is the only thing that exists in this state. <clears throat> in other words, the object of thought or the object of awareness, this object itself, the mind focuses on completely. The experience or the object itself, in other words, the experience of the awareness of that object that the person is aware of, fills the entire field of awareness. There is a total mental involvement in what the person is doing. The object of thought, the mind focuses on the object of thought as if it is a single experience. The entire awareness of the mind is on this object. 
In other words, it is an enhanced and heightened state of consciousness. The awareness and the, or the alertness of realities, reality is intensified enormously. In other words, one's awareness is totally focused on the object. And like I said, it's a super-focused awareness. In other words, the awareness of mind can be looked on as if it's a field. The entire field of awareness zeroes in on that one single experience, the object of the awareness. There is nothing else that the mind is aware of. Not that the mind has awareness, which it could be aware of other things, and it is only using a limited amount of awareness. The entire range of awareness that this self has, that this person has, is focused in on that object, on that single experience. That experience, that object, fills the entire range of awareness of this man, of this individual woman, whatever. That is an incredible state of awareness. That means that you are totally aware in every aspect of your mind of what you are thinking about. It is a super focused awareness. So two things have happened. The, there has been a removal of all extraneous stimuli, all sensations or mental activity which interfere or intrude on a person's awareness. That is out. And what is in is an enormous, enhanced, heightened state of awareness on a specific object, a specific thing which a person is aware of. That is a very difficult state to achieve. It takes a long time to achieve that. You know, it's very similar. Sometimes people experience that spontaneously. For instance, if you get involved in a book late at night, or sometimes you're on a train or you're on a bus and you're reading and all of a sudden you are so involved that reality outside of this book ceases and you don't even know how involved you are until you lift your head above the book and all of a sudden you realize that hey there's another world besides what I was reading it's the fact when you look up that's when you realize how focused your awareness was that's to give you an understanding of what meditation is and also contemplation. In other words, it is a total mental involvement of a single experience where almost no other reality exists besides this book, this object of awareness. And it is only when you remove yourself or pick your head up that you realize that there's a bus, that there are other people around you, and you realize how intensely you are involved in that book. And you know that you cannot achieve that state normally. You know it was a freak accident that you got so involved. Because if you try to duplicate it again, all of a sudden you're going to begin thinking of things. The more you try to intensely focus on that book, the more things are going to start coming into the mind, feelings, thoughts, uh, images, bodily sensations, sounds, uh, vision and so on. It is very difficult to do consciously. When you do it unconsciously or automatically, then you recognize the state that you're in. But to actually do it is almost impossible for the average person. It requires a lot of work. It requires certain techniques. And uh, that is the next thing I want to talk about, or uh, I'm going to talk about the techniques. Now, what I'd like to cover now is the concept of the intrusions 
or the interferences. We see that full concentration or full attention is really difficult to achieve. In fact, I may say it's nearly impossible to achieve, let alone the contemplative and the meditative states. But even the level of awareness called concentration is very difficult or nearly impossible to achieve on any kind of object which you are thinking about. Or if you are perceiving something, to really think about something you are looking at. For instance, if you're looking at, a, let's say, a flower or a picture, it is difficult to maintain that concentration or that focused awareness of that particular object, that flower or that picture that you are looking at for any length of time. Why is that? Because of the intrusions or interferences that are occurring while you are thinking or while you are aware of something. This is called mental static. It's like the background noise that keeps impinging itself, bombarding your consciousness, your, your, your awareness. And I'd mentioned what are these interferences. This is the mental activities, the thoughts, images, and feelings that go on all the time in the mind, uh, and also the sensations from the senses and the sensations from the body. These are the interfering phenomena. Now, we can ask, why is it why are these extraneous thoughts, images, or feelings produced? Why? Where do they come from? Why is it that they keep coming in and they don't seem to be a response to your will? I'm not asking. You know, it's many times I find myself thinking about something that I don't even know why it's there. I didn't start thinking about this. I didn't start having this feeling. I didn't have this image. If I close my mind, all of a sudden the images come in and so on. Where do all these things come from? Where do these things come from that make it so difficult to achieve concentration? The answer to that lies in the fact that there are two wills of the self. Two wills of the self. One is called the conscious will and the other is called the unconscious will. One is the conscious will of self and the other is unconscious will of self. What is the conscious will of self? The conscious will of self is when the self is aware of the actual act of decision and willing and it's aware of the motive of why it is willing. In other words, we can distinguish the following elements. There is self as a result of a reason or a motive, self makes a decision, it then wills, and willing we know is the invisible mechanism that connects the self and the neurons in the brain. All of a sudden, it fires up the neurons in the brain and action results. Okay, but in this case, we have self. Self is motivated for specific reasons. It makes a decision, it wills, and all of a sudden there are mental productions. You can think. You can uh, see something in your mind, or whatever. In conscious will, in the conscious will of self, the self is aware of why, or what the motive is, of why it is willing in the first place. That's conscious will. In other words, the self is, or you are conscious of willing itself, that you are willing, you are deciding and willing, and it is conscious of why it is willing, and of course it sees the thoughts, images, or feelings which are produced, evoked, or generated. That is the conscious will. 
The conscious will, of course, or rather the products of the conscious will, these thoughts, images, or feelings, can be initiated at will, they can be stopped at will, and they can be controlled or altered. Because you are always consciously aware of the actual willing process, the decision and the willing process, process, the actual motive for willing, and of course you are conscious of the actual productions that you have willed. The unconscious will of self is different. It is when the self is not aware of the act of willing itself, nor, uh, or in other words, it's not aware of the act of willing which is taking place, nor is it aware of the motive of the will, or the motive of why it is willing in the first place. In other words, all of a sudden, there are thoughts, feelings, or images that the self sees, but it is not aware of the fact that it decided, willed these thoughts, feelings, or images in the mind based on a certain motive. It is not aware of its motive, the actual act of deciding and willing. It's not aware of that. It is only aware of things coming into its mind, thoughts or feelings or images, and it's not aware of why. In other words, these things to the self intrudes into mental awareness constantly. It does not know why they are there. So we see a very interesting idea that self can be aware of its own products. It can be aware of the fact that it is a willing, that it wants something, and it is aware of why it wants. Self sometimes is not aware. All of a sudden, it, something pops up in the mind. How did it get there? And the answer is that you willed it there for a specific reason. That, because of that reason, that motive, you decided to have it, and you willed the thought there. But you do not know why you willed it there. You are not conscious of the motive, the actual decision process that you made, and the act of willing that generated or evoked or produced this thought, feeling, or emotion, uh, thought, feeling, or image in the mind itself. That is called unconscious motivation, with the self is not conscious of its own motivation or in the actual act of willing itself. A good example of these things is uh, uh, slips of the tongue. All these ideas. With it, all of a sudden you find yourself saying things which, uh, which are slips of the tongue. Uh, you forgot somebody's name or you said something and you didn't mean to say it. What this really means is that unconsciously you really know why these are happening because you have decided to do these, to say these statements or make slips of the tongue. You have decided, you have willed it, and you have uttered it. But you are not aware, and that, that willing was based on a motive. But you are not aware of the motive, the actual willing, deciding, and willing itself you're not aware of. All you know is self. And all of a sudden, you're making slips of the tongue, you're forgetting things, you have thoughts, images, or feelings in the mind, and you don't even know why. But don't be fooled. It is you that is bringing them into the mind. That is the concept of unconscious motivation or unconscious will of self, you see? And that is responsible for a great deal of behavior. 
you, uh, uh, why a person does things. Because you are always willing things, and that's why it happens. Sometimes you are aware of it, you are aware of the motives, the actual act of deciding based on that motive and the willing itself, and all of a sudden what's generated is the effect, is the thought, the feeling, or the image, or a slip, or, 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 uh, or whatever you want to do. And at times you are not aware of the motive, the act of decision, the willing itself. All you know is that all of a sudden something is happening. You're making slips of the tongue, you're thinking about things, you don't even know why. But it is the self that is doing it. So therefore self is aware of things and self is not aware of things. There is the unconscious will of the self and the conscious will of the self. And that explains, by the way, why you have these interferences and why you have these intrusions. These are, the, this mental static comes from uh, the unconscious will, where you are busy producing and generating thoughts, feelings, and images based on motives that you really know about but are unconscious to you. And the act of willing itself, based, uh, w the act of decision and willing itself is unconscious to you. In any case, that is the origin of the interference, the intrusional phenomena, which is called extraneous mental activity, which does not allow you to really concentrate very well. And that's what I wanted to explain. We see from this, obviously, that the products of the mind, the mental productions, which, uh, are, are, which arise from the unconscious will, are extremely difficult to control. In other words, really, they cannot normally be controlled because they arise from the unconscious will. It is possible to control them through meditation, and that is really one of the objectives of meditation. So now I will be getting into, or I will be continuing with the actual meditative techniques. How does one actually cultivate or actually develop the state of either contemplation or meditation? Now, before I begin to uh, enter the area of the actual techniques which one can use to develop the, the, the meditative state and the contemplative state, I just wanted to have a recap from uh, just previous ideas. We had seen so far that there are basically four states of awareness, four levels of awareness, four states of consciousness, and uh, the terms for these four states are reflection, concentration, contemplation, and meditation. And the first state <clears throat> of consciousness, or the first level of awareness, is reflection. And that basically is when a person is <clears throat> aware <clears throat> or thinks about any kind of thing in a sort of light, unfocused way. But there's a tremendous amount of intrusions by external or extraneous mental input, many thoughts, images or feelings, many sensations from the body, sensations from the senses and so on, that keep intruding on the level of awareness. And they seem to break the, uh, the focus that the person has. This is reflection, which is the lowest level um, <clears throat> of awareness. The next level of awareness is what's called concentration. And what this is, is when the person is able to focus or direct his awareness or his thinking on a certain object or certain matter, topic or whatever. 
And uh, of course, there's a much greater state of awareness because the awareness itself or the thinking itself is focused. It's directed. But even in this state, we find that there's still the extraneous mental input that keeps uh, bombarding the mind or the individual. And this, of course, retards his ability to either focus or um, maintain his directed thinking. You still have those thoughts, images, and feelings which uh, seem to come up spontaneously, and I had mentioned previously that they are really products of the unconscious will. Uh, this is the second state of consciousness, the second level of awareness. Third level of awareness, which is a much higher level of awareness and which is much more difficult to achieve, is what's called contemplation. And what contemplation is, is basically it's the same idea as concentration except there's a difference. A person directs, controls, or focuses his awareness on a certain object, whatever that be. That more or less remains the same. But in the case of contemplation, the person has succeeded in removing or excluding shutting out uh, any and all of the extraneous mental input that the person usually experiences. That itself intensifies the focus. <clears throat> In other words, merely by shutting out extraneous ideas, <clears throat> extraneous thoughts, images or feelings, or any bodily sensations or sensory sensations, the focus, the awareness itself, the focus which a person has is greatly intensified and not necessarily because the person actually increasingly focuses his awareness. The next stage, which is the highest state of awareness, the highest state of consciousness, is what's called meditation. It is the meditative state. What is that state? It is a state which I call super-focused awareness. In other words, it is when the, the experience that the person is having becomes the total focus of the awareness of that individual. The entire field of awareness is focused on that one single experience. There is nothing left of the person's awareness that can focus on anything else. It is a super focus or super direction of the mind or the awareness on a given object or whatever it may be that he is focusing on. At the same time, he has removed or excluded all interfering phenomena, all intru intrusional phenomena, which again is the extraneous mental input, any of the sensory or bodily sensations, any of the mental activities, which is thoughts, feelings, or images. So the meditative state is a state in which the person is completely, totally, and absolutely only aware of the object of his awareness. Absolutely nothing else enters the mind. This is the greatest level of consciousness or awareness a person can achieve. And it is that level to which many disciplines aspire a person to achieve because there are many things that can be accomplished as a result of that. And when we get into yoga later on, yoga especially tries to get the individual to, um, to realize that level because yoga sees that as the main vehicle for what's called the liberation of self or self-realization, which I will get into later. In any case, that's a summary or recap of the four levels of awareness, the four states of consciousness. Now, I want to just mention an idea as an, as an aside, and that is that the idea of creativity, the greater the awareness state toward any object, 
then you should know the greater the creativity about that object. The more awareness, the more you are focused in on something, the greater is the faculty of creativity that the mind has on that object. What happens when a person focuses in such a way on an object? What happens when his level of awareness is increased manifold on any single uh, 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 subject or uh, to uh, topic or whatever? What happens is that new subtleties, new shades, new aspects, new elements or facets of an object are revealed with greater awareness. New relationships, new fundamental principles and so on. A person is able to see these things because he has much greater awareness, heightened consciousness about the thing that he's thinking about. That's what's called enhanced creativity. So we see that creativity is one of the faculties that is greatly strengthened or enhanced as a result of heightened awareness, as a result of any of the meditative or contemplative states. Another idea which I'd just like to mention before we get on to the techniques of how to achieve meditation is the concept of genius. Now, genius, if actually one can think about it, may be more a product of a person's ability to focus awareness, to achieve concentration or contemplation or meditation than anything else. In other words, as a result of the heightened awareness, he is able to enhance the knowledge and creativity about that object. In other words, the power of the intellect in conception, judgment, and reasoning is greatly strengthened as a result of his awareness. In other words, we tend to think that a person who is a genius, if we want to call him that, a person who has a superior intellect, has a superior ability to reason to form conceptions, form judgments, and form reasoning. That's the power of the intellect. This is what we think. But the truth is that many times uh, a person can be absolutely brilliant for no other reason than the fact that he has the ability to achieve great states of awareness or consciousness. And that itself enhances the creative process and gives a person far greater ability to know something to comprehend, to understand nature of things. That's a second idea which I wanted to say. So uh, it's not too late. For those people who are not innate geniuses, it is always possible to develop uh, heightened states of awareness. And these can be developed, by the way. And uh, who knows? Maybe somebody can actually come out producing material of genius level. OK. We are now up to the area what's called the techniques of meditation and that is exactly how does a person achieve these states how do we go about it <clears throat> well let's take a look at the four states that I had mentioned reflection concentration contemplation and meditation to achieve the first level of awareness or that first state of consciousness called reflection <clears throat> Or it's awareness, as I had said, with it's awareness, light or unfocused awareness with extraneous mental input. To achieve this particular state does not require any sort of technique. I'll be honest with you. It doesn't really require any kind of efforts or technique. Believe it or not, most people function at this level, at this mental level. Most people, when they think, 
they are at the level of awareness called reflection. That is the simple form of thinking that almost everybody can do innately, intuitively. <clears throat> you don't need any kind of exercise. You are born automatically with the ability to be aware because awareness itself is a mental activity. You are born with the ability to uh, think about things, to be aware about things. And of course, that's with all the extraneous mental input going on at the same time. To achieve the second level of awareness, or the second level of consciousness, which of course is concentration, and we know what concentration is, and that is focused awareness or directed awareness with extraneous mental, mental input also occurring at the same time, this is what we know, <clears throat> also does not require any real type of technique. You don't really have to be trained in order to be able to concentrate on any kind of a matter. With an application of mental effort, this state can be readily achieved or attained by most people. Most people can realize this state of awareness, this level of awareness, merely by extending or applying themselves to make the effort to focus in or to direct their thinking apparatus or their awareness on a certain matter. Most people are able to do it. Where they differ, of course, is the length of period that they are able to do it. That is where people differ. And for that already, to be able to do it for extended lengths of time does require training and discipline. Not, not extensive, but it does require readiness in the sense that a person does have to have some kind of a training or discipline. Uh, even attending a shear, for instance, of this nature requires a tremendous amount of concentration because you have to hold your head, you have to keep up with all the ideas coming out for an extended period of time. That requires concentration. Believe it or not, training for this kind of level of awareness, concentration, is achieved by attending many shuram. That is the way one does it. If you readily uh, attend different kinds of shuram or lectures, that are academically sophisticated, after a while you will be used to, to the fact that you are able to attend to these kind of shuram and your mind will discipline itself to be able to sit for that length of time. It gets easier and easier. In other words, the exercise for achieving concentration is to concentrate itself, but to concentrate on things which require real attention. Um, and that, again, can be achieved or realized by most people. So this is concentration. Both of these states, reflection and concentration, are well within the means of most people. <clears throat> However, <clears throat> to achieve the third level of, of awareness, the third state of consciousness, which is contemplation, and what is contemplation? It's an intense focused awareness or an intense directed awareness without any extraneous mental input at all. To achieve this state is not an easy matter. To achieve the fourth level of awareness or the fourth state of conscience, consciousness, which is meditation, and that is super focused awareness without any extraneous mental input at all, both of these things Contemplation or meditation requires specific techniques 
It demands intense efforts and long hours to accomplish. That is not something easy to achieve because the mind is relatively undisciplined and it always um, changes the object of its thought or the object of its awareness. It requires a great deal of effort, uh, many hours, specific techniques in order to train itself to be able to shut out all extraneous mental input and to be able to uh, focus in in a, in a very superlative and sophisticated way on any object, it really requires a lot of training. Now, how does one actually develop the contemplative and meditative state? There are basically three types of meditative techniques that enable one to achieve the meditative state which of course is super focused awareness without any extraneous mental input and certainly one can achieve the contemplative state which is focused awareness without ex which is intense focused awareness without any extraneous mental input there are basically three types of meditative techniques now all types it, it would seem many times by looking at different books on this subject that there are many, many different ways. But the truth is they boil down to one of three. And all three have really one thing in common. They are just three variant forms of achieving the same goal. And it is the goal which leads a person uh, to the contemplative or meditative state. <clears throat> These three types of meditative techniques are, one, what's called mantra or sound meditation, two, contemplative or sight meditation, and three, <clears throat> visualizing or image meditation. That's basically what there is. It's basically only those three. Either you focus in on a sound, you focus in on a sight, or you focus in on a mental image. And through those uh, techniques, you develop the contemplative state and you develop a meditative state. <clears throat> Let's take a look at some of those more in detail. What is mantra meditation or sound meditation? What that basically is, is when a person concentrates or focuses awareness on a word or a phrase or a sound, and the sound is a mantra, that's the uh, word that's the term that is used to describe a sound. <clears throat> When a person concentrates on any of these three items by either vocalizing this word, phrase, or sound, in other words, you pronounce it softly, or whispering or mouthing it, or merely thinking about it mentally. In other words, you mentally sound it. When you concentrate on a word, phrase, or sound through any one of those three expressions, either vocalization, mouthing, or mentally sounding it, <clears throat> and then you repeat this procedure a certain number of times, that is what's called mantra meditation. Okay? You take a sound, a word or a phrase, and you either vocalize it, you either um, mouth it, whisper it, or you think about the sound, you mentally sound it in your mind, and when you do this in a repeated performance for a specific number of times, that is what's called mantra meditation or sound meditation. 
And that is the first or one of the ways a person can achieve the contemplative state and the meditative state. And we'll see why in a minute when we understand this objective. The second meditative technique is called contemplative meditation. And that is when a person gazes, looks at something, any object, it could be a written word, it could be a written phrase, or it could be a written symbol. It doesn't make a difference. When you gaze at something with concentrated effort or focus or directed awareness, that is called contemplative meditation. You see, there the object of your concentration is not a sound, but it is rather a sight. You are looking at something, whether it be a word, a phrase, a symbol, an object. You gaze at something, you concentrate on gazing at it, you focus the awareness on that object. This is contemplative meditation. And this, again, is a second technique or, a th or, or another variant form of how a person can achieve the contemplative or meditative state. Now, the third form or method of um, developing the meditative state or contemplative state <coughs> is what's called visualizing meditation. <clears throat> it is basically when a person evokes or fixes an image of anything, any object, any letter, any word, any symbol. You don't fix a phrase in the mind because it's just too lengthy to hold there. But usually what a person fixes in the mind, the image usually consists of an object, uh, a letter, a word, or a symbol. When he fixes or evokes this in the mind and holds it there or concentrates on it. In other words, he focuses awareness upon this image for a specific time period or duration. This is called visualizing meditation or image, imaging meditation. It is simply not a sound, it is not a sight. It is an image that a person holds in his mind and concentrates his gaze, so to speak, his mental gaze at that object for a specific period of time. <clears throat> that is the third form uh, of uh, technique whereby a person achieves a meditative or a contemplative state. Now remember, <clears throat> these are the techniques that are used to develop the meditative or, or contemplative state. Sometimes they are used in the act of meditating or in the act of contemplating itself. That is sometimes what you actually do when you meditate. In other words, let's assume a person has achieved the ability to arrive at a meditative state. And now he wants to meditate. He wants to meditate, let's assume, on a certain letter, a Hebrew letter. That is not a technique for meditation. That is the act of meditation itself. And he's trying to achieve a certain objective with the act of meditation. I am referring to techniques for developing the ability uh, to achieve the meditative or contemplative state. Now, by the way, the Hebrew term for this technique, which is called visualizing meditation, is called chakiko, which means engraving. In other words, you engrave an image in the mind. This is visualization meditation. Now, we now see that there are basically three meditative techniques. And uh, actually, 
most of the techniques that you encounter come under one of these three areas. It's either a sight, or rather it's either sound, it's a sight, or it's an image of which you're trying to focus in on or concentrate on. Now, <clears throat> why are there three techniques? Or rather, what are the common objectives of all three techniques? How does each one, or how do all of them, enable you to achieve a contemplative or meditative state? Well, the common objective of all three meditative techniques is really two ideas. And they really give you practice in those two ideas. The first idea is that it enables one to develop skill in greatly or intensely focusing awareness. In other words, <clears throat> when you make the sound, whether it be of a word, a phrase, or a sound, or an external sight, whether it be an object, a written word, or written phrase, or written symbol, or whether it be an image, a mental object, a mental letter, word, symbol, or whatever. The total focus of one's awareness is centered on these three areas, sound, sight, or um, uh, image, and that enables you to develop the skill of focusing or directing awareness. Merely by practicing, focusing awareness, you actually develop the skill of focusing awareness. And you can focus awareness on one of the, these three kind of things. So that is the first common objective of all three techniques, is that they enable you again to intensely focus awareness on one of three objects, whether it be sight, a sound, or an image, and that itself enables you or gives you the discipline of doing this kind of uh, focusing. The second idea, <clears throat> or the second common objective of all three meditative techniques, is that it enables the person to still the mind. <clears throat> In other words, to clear, to shut out, or to empty the mind to push aside or to exclude all extraneous mental input. In other words, by thinking about an object, whether it be a sound, a sight, or an image, when, when you concentrate on this, not only are you focusing awareness, or you are achieving discipline in that, but you are also shutting out the extraneous mental input. And what that does is, is it gives you the experience or the ability or the feeling, what it's like when nothing enters your mind except the awareness of the particular object that you are aware of. In other words, <clears throat> you are able to cease or withdraw from all sensory or bodily sensations or mental activities, whether it be thoughts, images, or feelings. Any and all mental static, and that's really what it is, it's mental static, which interferes with awareness upon an object you were able to exclude or shut out. So those are the three objectives of these three techniques of meditation. They enable you to focus awareness. They give you the experience and the discipline of doing that. And the second thing is they enable you to still the mind, to shut out uh, all kinds of extraneous mental input. And if you do it for long enough and frequent enough, you will find that the self, and that is really who is doing it, 
that the self is able to control the mind in two ways. The self or the individual is able to control the mind in the sense of pushing out all extraneous mental input. You actually can do it. And the second thing the self is able to do is focus awareness on any object it so desires, whether it be a sound, a sight, or an image. It doesn't make a difference. And uh, if you do it often enough, you get very proficient. You can reach amazing states of consciousness, very high levels of awareness. That's what really happens. And uh, therefore, these three meditative techniques enable one to do so because they all achieve these two goals. Now, I now would like to talk about what are the goals of meditation. Now, we know that meditation is a method. It's really a device or a means, a technique to achieve specific objectives for a person. What are the meditative goals or objectives? We've covered so far the states of consciousness, the four levels of awareness. We've covered, in addition, the techniques for developing the meditative state and the contemplative state. What I would like to go into now is to discuss the goals or the objectives of the meditative device. In other words, if you can actually do this, meditate or contemplate or achieve this state of awareness, what can you achieve? What can you accomplish? What are the realistic goals or objectives? Now, <clears throat> I have listed 12 of them. I know it's not, uh, um, it's not that much, but um, there are 12 goals that you can achieve. That means you can actually tailor your activities of meditation toward achieving one of these 12 goals, okay? <clears throat> it's probably surprising to most people that you can achieve so much with meditation, but you actually can. Now, again, <clears throat> let me just uh, mention again that meditation fundamentally is a method, it's a device, it is a means or a technique whereby one can achieve specific objectives uh, which he wants to do. In other words, it is a vehicle or technique whereby he can accomplish certain goals. The question then is, what are the meditative goals or objectives that an individual can employ? And as I, as I have said, I have selected 12 goals or objectives of the meditative device which I would like to mention. And also, we, uh, as I have mentioned, Judaism selects only, selects only several of these goals um, and the rest it leaves off. Not say, and I'm not saying that the rest are not valid. In other words, they should not be uh, done by an individual. They can be. But Judaism, in terms of what it wants to achieve for the person, uh, suggests or recommends or says that only two of these goals should be achieved using a meditative state. Now, what are these 12 goals or objectives? that meditation can accomplish for an individual. Well, we see before that, we saw before that there are two things a person does when he meditates. First, he excludes all extraneous mental input. That's the first thing he does. 
shuts out or clears the mind. No uh, mental activity, thoughts, images, or feelings enter. No sensations, bodily or sensory, enter also. He just shuts it out. Based on that, uh, based on that phenomena that meditation achieves, we can then distinguish that there are three goals that a person can accomplish because this is what meditation does. The first is that meditation can enhance the relaxation response or cultivate intense, deep relaxation. We see that if there is no sensory input or sensations or stimuli to excite the self or to bombard or to barrage the self, the individual, if there are no bodily sensations which usually arise as or present themselves to the individual as tension, anxiety, nervous muscular twitches or tics, pains, aches, and so on, <clears throat> that obviously a person, if he does not experience any of these things, he can obviously achieve a state of relaxation. Now, if there are no disturbing thoughts, frightening images, or negative feelings, then we see with all these things, since they are the product of meditation, in the sense that meditation is able to exclude these things, then it is obvious that a person can achieve a, 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 uh, or cultivate an intense, deep relaxation response. That is one goal of meditation, to learn how to relax. And the reason why meditation can do it is because one of the products or the achievements or the effects of meditation is that extraneous mental input, of course, is denied access to the mind. There are no sensations, whether it be bodily or sensory. There are no thoughts, images, or feelings. Therefore, a person can simply relax because a person gets nervous or tense or anxious or whatever only because of these mental phenomena. So the first objective is you can achieve a deep state of relaxation, and that is no small objective, especially in this kind of a world where everybody's uptight. Now, a second objective that meditation can achieve is it can loosen the physical bonds from the self. And that begins having certain overtones or certain significances to religion and also to the Eastern meditative doctrines. It can loosen the physical bonds from the self. In other words, you as a person can de-emphasize your attachment to the physical world through meditation. In other words, there will be no attachment to the physical external world. Why? Because there is no sensory input you're not receiving anything from the senses. And also, no attachment to the physical body. There are no bodily sensations. In addition, there is no attachment to the physical world because there are no thoughts about the world. There are no images or feelings about the world also. In other words, a person is linked to the physical world via his thoughts, his images, and his feelings about the world. He is linked to the physical world because of his sensations, his sensory sensations. He sees the world, he hears, he touches, he smells, and uh, he tastes. Those things which go about around the world. 
He also experiences the world, of course, through bodily sensations. Well then, if a person is able to clear or shut these things out, obviously he will experience much less of the world. So therefore, one of the objectives of, of meditation, and as I said, this is especially important in religion, as we shall see in Judaism, and also important in yoga and other Eastern meditative doctrines, is that meditation or contemplation, actually, can actually loosen the physical bond or the attachment or the link that the self or that you have with the physical world. Actually, what it does is it also gives you a much greater perspective of who you are because it is the intrusion of the physical world into the self that constantly disturbs your own idea of who you are. But we'll speak about that much more when we get to yoga because they discuss this in terms of illusions or maya. We'll see what that means later on. Now, that is a second objective of meditation. A third objective of meditation, which again can be achieved because meditation excludes all extraneous mental input. In other words, since meditation accomplishes that product, all of these objectives can be achieved. The third objective is that you can gain conscious control in the sense that you can suspend the mental productions, which are thoughts, images, or feelings of the unconscious will. That's what meditation does. You can actually gain control consciously. You can suspend or remove them of all these kind of men mental productions of the unconscious will. In other words, for whatever reason you are willing, you are deciding, and for whatever reason you are motivated, and all three of these things are unknown to you. And therefore, as a result of that, you have a lot of different thoughts, images, or feelings, mental productions coming into your mind. You can shut them out with meditation. In other words, you can gain self-mastery over extraneous or unwanted thoughts, images, or feelings. Now, this is very important to becoming a tzaddik because there is a certain concept called hirhurim, or thoughts, but hirhurim are, are thoughts which fly into the mind. Again, products of the unconscious will. They are not machshavos. Machshavos is thoughts which you actively want to think about. Those are products of the conscious will. Hirhurim are thoughts which are products of the unconscious will. And they're the thoughts or feelings or images that just keep flying in, this stream of incessant uh, uh, mental activities that keeps going in the mind. You can gain mastery over these through meditation. And that is very important in terms of the avoido or working yourself up to be a tzaddik or a kodesh, to get rid of these hirhurim. That is a third objective of meditation. Now, a, a second product of meditation, if you remember the first product, was it can exclude extraneous mental input. The second product or effect of meditation is that it gives you the ability to focus awareness. Now, because of that, we now have the following objectives that meditation can achieve based on that effect or that product of the meditative state. The fourth objective using the second product as its fundamental determining principle is that you can actually acquire the skill of intense concentration 
or super-focused concentration or awareness toward any object one wishes. It actually gives you the discipline whereby if you want to think about something or be aware of something, you can shut out everything and zero in on anything you want to. And that is enormously beneficial for somebody who wants to learn anything or experience anything. To have that power is extremely significant in many areas, not only in religion, to focus in on God or prayer or whatever. Because if you do that, then the God becomes a whole different kind of reality to a person who can focus in on, in on God. But in even other areas, if you want to focus in on any area or subject, you can learn a subject in much quicker time than somebody else because he's too busy being distracted. And you can accomplish in a very short time what it takes him much longer. In other words, the fourth objective then, because it gives you the ability to focus awareness, meditation, is that you can acquire the skill of super-focused awareness or intense concentration on any matter, subject, topic, or whatever. A fifth objective, again based on the fact that meditation gives you the ability to focus awareness, is that the attainment of a greater state of consciousness or an enhanced or heightened or greater level of awareness itself is the goal. In other words, the realization of super focused of a super focused state of awareness itself is the objective. The objective of meditation then becomes the meditative state. Just to be in that kind of a level of awareness, that state of consciousness is a very exhilarating experience. So therefore a goal of meditation is the meditative state itself that meditation achieves for the individual. And the same is true of contemplation. That is a fifth objective or goal of meditation. The actual state, meditative state or contemplative state, that the act of meditation or contemplation achieves for the individual. Because heightened awareness gives an individual certain feelings or emotional states which he does not have when he does not have the heightened awareness. A sixth objective of meditation is that it, you can achieve greater knowledge of the object of awareness as a result of enhanced awareness or heightened, of course, consciousness. And also, not only will this give you greater knowledge of the object you are thinking or aware of, but it will also increase the creative output, which is something I have mentioned. Creativity is tremendously enhanced when you meditate or contemplate. Because what happens is that by focusing awareness in a very intense way, you see many new relationships, new ideas, new shades, new elements of a given thing. And that enables you to restructure something and look at it in a different way. And that's basically what creativity is. So therefore, a sixth objective of meditation is that you can achieve greater knowledge and greater creative products of whatever you want to think about, whatever subject, area, topic, object, and so on. That's a sixth objective of meditation. 
<clears throat> a seventh objective of meditation is that <clears throat> not only does it give you greater awareness of what you think about or what you're aware of mentally, <clears throat> but also <clears throat> it can give you a, an enhanced or a greater perceptive awareness of an object. For instance, if you gaze at a rose, you gaze at a picture, or you gaze at a beautiful scene, if you focus awareness into that scene, that scene will become different to you than it is for the average person. In some way, <clears throat> you will become, or you will see aspects of that scene, or the rose, or the picture, for instance, you will see different aspects that is not seen by the average person. The whole experience of gazing will become a different kind of experience. Very, um, very uh, exhilarating for that matter. You will almost feel as if you and the rose, you and the picture, you and the scene merge. And that is, we will see later on, that is one of the supreme objectives of yoga, is where the self merges with the object of its thought or awareness. But we'll get into that. But to a certain extent, you can achieve that. The greater awareness you have of something, the more it, it feels to you as if you are actually at one with the object. So the whole state is a different state. The whole feeling about the object that you are gazing at or you're perceiving is a different state. So therefore, the seventh objective is that you can achieve an enhanced or greater perceptive awareness of an object, any object. In other words, what you look at. That is a seventh objective of meditation. An eighth objective of meditation is that it can arouse in you strong emotional states through intense awareness and knowledge of a thing. For instance, if you meditate upon God with a super focused awareness, this will yield certain emotional states toward God. If you meditate, for in, which namely could be greater love and fear, if you meditate on spirituality, spiritual worlds, or whatever, different ideas or concepts in Judaism, certain emotional states will be aroused because of the intense meditation, the intense uh, uh, focused awareness. So therefore, to experience different emotional states itself is an objective of meditation because those emotional states are really the product of your focusing awareness on any given area or object. You actually become enmeshed in it in an emotional way and that itself can become very exhilarating depending on what you meditate on. A ninth objective and this objective is very important for yoga, for the martial arts, karate, and so on. Uh, they use this a lot. And that is that you can channel sources of internal energy and sources of external energy. You can channel the energies to, the, to any desired area of your body or to another body through meditation. And there are such a thing such things as sources of energy within self and sources of energy outside of self around the world and so on that through meditation <clears throat> you can channel these energies to any desired area for instance uh, pr uh, on a practical level there's a certain um, 
area called touch healing where you touch a person and healing can occur and it is you it is um, um, the way it happens is that you channel energies to certain areas and that is what helps a person but you do that only by meditating or intense concentration or focused awareness on the sources of energy you release it and you channel it karate uses it very often when it wants to channel energies into certain muscular sections and it intensifies the strength of a muscle enormously because the muscle is not merely a physical instrument it also can receive energies as a result of mental um, involvements in that muscle group and it exhibits far greater strength uh, those are merely just two areas that use this particular uh, um, phenomena but meditation in any case uh, which is objective number nine you can channel energies to different areas different uh, desired locations that's another objective of meditation a tenth objective of meditation is that you can achieve realization of self and that is the goal of yoga self-realization self um, self-liberation or expression and we'll get to that later on when we talk about yoga we'll deal about that far more extensively I just mentioned it as one of the objectives but yoga zeroes in especially on this people make a mistake they think that yoga has the other areas too relaxation and so on but that is not true those other ideas which yoga focuses in on for instance relaxation or whatever those are all byproducts of the meditative state so yoga wants to popularize itself so it says you know you can relax also you can feel good about yourself but that has nothing to do with yoga yoga is interested in only one thing and only one thing and that is what's called liberation of self from all bonds or more accurately to liberate the self from its illusion of what it really is uh, that is really the goal of yoga and all the other goals that yoga says is really popularization but that is the real focus and goal of yoga which I will get into much more extensively when I talk about yoga the eleventh goal or objective of meditation is what's called or rather what it is is that through meditation and this is something new to you you can establish an existential or ontological connection or a hookup to the object of meditation it's called entity hookup and I'll explain that right after I finish the objectives that is one of the greatest or most crucial ideas in meditation and in that is where we begin to see uh, how it actually uh, uh, functions in terms of Judaism but in any case I call it entity hookup via meditation the twelfth objective is an objective which is specifically Jewish in nature and this is really where Judaism uh, takes meditation and uses it and that is that via meditation you can achieve attachment one contact or communication two and perception three of the transcendental realms or worlds and perception of 
spiritual entities. And also, you can control various transcendental or spiritual entities themselves. That is what Judaism uses meditation for. The last one especially. In other words, Judaism uses meditation in order to achieve communication, attachment, and perception of spiritual beings and spiritual or transcendental worlds. It also uses it to achieve uh, control or manipulation of different spiritual entities themselves in the service of whatever you want them to do. That's why Judaism uses it. That is the crucial objective in Judaism, which we will get into very extensively in the next area, and that's what Judaism, uh, Jewish meditation is really all about. Now, in any case, these are the 12 objectives of meditation. Um, it, uh, it could be that some of them are new to some of the people here, but if you think about it, this is really what meditation can achieve. And we see that meditation is a very powerful device Meditation or contemplation, either one, but especially meditation, is a very powerful vehicle, a device, a method, a technique to achieve many, many different kind of objectives. <clears throat> uh, as I said very quickly, I just summarized, you can enhance the relaxation response greatly. You can loosen the physical bonds that the self has with the world. You can gain conscious control. You can suspend the productions, the mental productions of the unconscious will. In other words, self-mastery over extraneous, unwanted thoughts. You can acquire the skill, the ability to actually focus awareness toward any object you want. You can attain great states of consciousness, and that itself is the objective, merely the state itself, the exhilaration of that state. You can achieve great knowledge and really uh, stir up the creative faculty of the mind. Uh, and you can uh, therefore know something to a far greater degree than most people do. You can achieve very great enhanced or perceptive or heightened awareness of an object, a sight that you're looking at. You can arouse strong emotional states. You can channel internal and external energies to any desired area. You can achieve self-realization or self-liberation. You can establish an entity hookup, or in other words, you can connect yourself ontologically to the object of meditation. And you can communicate, attach yourself, and perceive spiritual worlds, spiritual entities, and you can actually control spiritual entities to do your bidding. That is the 12 objectives of meditation and contemplation. And uh, I would imagine that uh, probably is enticing for people to engage in just to achieve even any number of them. But it's really fascinating um, uh, device that if one has, one can actually do all these kind of things. I had mentioned previously the uh, 11th objective, which was to establish an existential or ontological connection or hookup to the object of meditation. And I call that entity hookup. What is exactly, what does that mean? 
you should know that the self in general is existentially connected to all aspects of creation. That's important to know. Um, each individual is a model of creation. Each individual is existentially and ontologically connected or attached or hooked to all creation. If you make some part of creation the object of your awareness, what that does is it intensifies the connection. Now, I'm not going to go into it now, but after the Shuruman meditation, I'm going to give, be given Shuruman Adam Kadmoin, which is the structure of man, the structure of the universe, and why man was created the way he was. Two hands, two eyes. It's the whole understanding of the the structure of the human being and so on. But basically, over there we will see that man is a model of all creation, literally. And that man is connected to all aspects of creation. Man itself automatically is connected to all aspects of creation. When a person thinks intensely about a certain area of creation, that sort of like clears the channels and intensifies the connection. In other words, um, self is existentially and ontologically attached, connected or hooked to the object of its, of its awareness in a far greater, to a far greater extent than if it was not thinking or focused in on that object. Even though you're not aware of this, but the truth is that you can influence all aspects of creation. When you focus in your awareness on that aspect of creation, then you are very much attached. It's almost like you clear the pipes. You take away all intrusions, and there is a direct line between you and that area of creation, or between you and the object, which is part of the creation. There's a direct line or direct hookup that you are... Um, ex uh, that you are... Um, ontologically um, connected to. Now, the more self is aware ment or mentally involved or mentally preoccupied with anything, the greater is the connection to that thing. So remember, man himself is connected to all aspects of creation because of his unique spiritual structure. When a person meditates or focuses awareness on any aspect of creation, on any object, then the channels or the link that a person has with that object of creation is greatly intensified. It's greatly reinforced. And that has great significance, metaphysical significance in Judaism. Right now I'm just talking about the principle that self is existentially and ontologically connected to all of creation. Self is certainly existentially and ontologically attached or hooked up to the object of its awareness. Um, in other words, the connection is reinforced or strengthened by merely being aware of the object. And that the more self is aware or mentally involved or mentally preoccupied with anything, <coughs> the greater is the connection to that thing. Um, 
it's like they say they there's a statement in Judaism that says that where the mind is at that's where you are at and that's really what it means where you are at what you think about all the time that's where the self is because that's where the self is connected to very intensely now the connection itself is on a mental plane and on a spiritual plane in other words the self is connected to spiritual to the spiritual determinants or the causes or the roots of that object that's the connection that you are connected to all aspects of creation that means that you are connected to the underlying spiritual counterparts or determinants or causes of all objects and you're also connected to things on a mental plane and we find that for instance uh, many times you may think about a person if he's going through a dangerous moment and all of a sudden you think about that because you are hooked up mentally to an individual that is always the object of your awareness especially if it's a loved one if the object of awareness is physical or material then self is attached or hooked to physicality gashmias in other words if your mind is always in chandeliers and carpets or how to further physic physical uh, pursuits or whatever then you should know that the self which is the nefesh elyoina if you recall from previous shurim the highest soul is connected to physicality you are connected to the physical world in other words spirituality or the nefesh elyoina or the self is enmeshed or entangled in materialism or physicality if the object of awareness on the other hand is spiritual nature for instance if your mind is preoccupied or involved with thoughts about God, about his Torah, about doing mitzvahs, about studying Hashkafa, which is Jewish philosophy, which is what we're studying now, then the self is hooked to spirituality and spiritual realms. It is attached to transcendental worlds. In other words, spirituality or the nefesh elyoina, the self, the highest soul, is enmeshed in its natural true environment that's really what happens <laughs> if you think about spirituality the self increases the connection towards spirituality and that actually has repercussions on a spiritual plane if the self thinks about through the mind is always preoccupied with physical pursuits um, material pursuits whatever then the self is connected or attached to physical planes physical worlds and that diminishes greatly the uh, stature of the nefesh itself not only that but it precludes or prevents the individual from experiencing many spiritual phenomena because spiritual phenomena abhor they repudiate the self that is enmeshed in a physical world it's what's called mutually exclusive phenomena spirituality cannot mesh with a self that itself is enmeshed in physical world which we'll discuss much more when we get to prophecy and spiritual phenomena 
But I'll, I'll have more to say again in prophecy, when we talk about prophecy and also divine inspiration, Ruach HaKodesh, about these ideas. So far we have gone through the different objectives of the meditative or contemplative states. Also, what we have done also is we have analyzed the concept of an existential or ontological hookup. In other words, that the self is connected ontologically to the object of its awareness. It is really connected to all reality by virtue of the fact that it is an odom. And uh, later on we'll see more what that means. But when you are aware of something, you intensify, reinforce, or clear the channels. The link-up is far greater. Now, contemplation and meditation are difficult states to achieve, notwithstanding all the glorious objectives that have been enumerated. They are still difficult states to achieve. Is it possible that we, the average person, can achieve certain states of awareness that will give us also many of the benefits of meditation without engaging in the long hours, the arduous efforts that it takes to uh, achieve or accomplish meditative and contemplative states? The answer is yes. There is something that we ourselves can do. And uh, it's something that we can do. It takes a little effort, but it is something that with which we can achieve a lot of the objectives that the meditative or contemplative states achieve without going through all the effort, all the work, uh, and, and all the time that you have to put in. What is this way? We said about concentration. What is concentration? Concentration is directed or focused awareness <clears throat> or thinking about something with the interference of extraneous mental input when you are bombarded by sensations and mental activities. Now, the level of awareness or thinking in concentration is limited. Even with concentration, because of the extraneous mental input, they actually interfere or intrude on our ability to be really aware, really focused in. A way exists whereby one can increase the level of awareness or thinking in the state of concentration without working on excluding the extraneous mental input, which of course diminishes the level of awareness. In other words, we have an alternative to the contemplative state and also to the meditative state. Now, this is desirable that we have an alternative because the contemplative state or the meditative state is very difficult to achieve for the average person. But there is an alternative. <clears throat> it is possible <clears throat> to increase the level of awareness or the, the state of consciousness in concentration without working on clearing the mind of extraneous mental input. It is possible. How is this done? Well, this is to concentrate or to direct or focus awareness or thinking for prolonged periods of time and frequent periods of time. In other words, what you have to do is you have to become mentally preoccupied, obsessed or mentally involved with anything for prolonged and frequent 
periods of time. In other words, if you take any area, doesn't make a difference what it is, let's say an area you want to study, if you think about it intensely, you concentrate, and that is within the, uh, the bounds of people, if you think about this, you concentrate on it intensely for a prolonged period of time, for a long period of time, and if you use these concentrated periods, or rather if you employ these concentrated periods frequently, then this will heighten the state of awareness, even without removing the interfering extraneous mental input. Therefore, obviously, if you increase the level of awareness from merely focused awareness of concentration to intense focused awareness of contemplation, then you can achieve a great deal of the objectives that one can achieve with the contemplative state. You can't achieve all of them because you still have not excluded extraneous mental thoughts. But in terms of the um, strengthening or heightening or enhancing the focus awareness, that can be achieved. Therefore, those objectives which necessitate intense focused awareness can be realized. Even though you're not working on uh, excluding extraneous mental input. Now, this is a very important tool for learning in creativity. In other words, if you learn intensely, in other words, if you think with focused concentration or focused awareness, if you become totally immersed and mentally involved with the object or the area of thought, then you can achieve, you can achieve a greater or more heightened or more enhanced level of awareness than is, or state of consciousness than is normally achieved with concentration alone. Even without, or rather, even without working on excluding extraneous mental input. In other words, even with the interferences of extraneous mental input, you still can achieve much greater levels of awareness than is normally achieved to the regular state of concentration. And you can do that, as I had mentioned, in two ways. You have to do both of these things. If, you, if your thinking becomes focused, and this is done for a prolonged period of time, that's the first requirement, and the second requirement, if these concentrated thinking periods are, or rather, if they occur very frequently, then you are able to actually intensify your awareness to a level greater than concentration, even though you still have a lot of extraneous mental input. Therefore, you are able to achieve a lot of the objectives which were stated for meditation and contemplation, even though you are not in the, the contemplative or meditative state. Now, In other words, intense intellectual activity, and that's really what it is, concentration, in other words, thinking in a very concentrated fashion, is intense intellectual activity because it brings in the intellect. Intense intellectual activity, thinking, for prolonged periods of time, and if it's done with great frequency, actually raises the level of awareness enhances the state of consciousness toward that object higher that 
higher than can be normally achieved through the regular activity of concentration. And it's also good to know that focused or concentrated thinking for a prolonged period of time is sometimes called intellectual meditation. It is meditation whereby you use the intellect, but you think in a concentrated manner. You immerse yourself totally in that area or subject, and you do it frequently. If you do that, then you begin to experience a lot of the um, objectives or a lot of the products of the contemplative and meditative state. Via the intellectual meditation, therefore, one becomes strongly connected or attached existentially and ontologically to the object or the area of thought. In other words, it actually yields an ontological hookup, which is what meditation and contemplation yield. By thinking in a concentrated fashion, for prolonged periods of time, and by thinking about it often, you become ontologically hooked up to a very great degree. In addition, through intellectual meditation, the creative faculty is extremely productive in revealing many fundamental principles, relationships, and concepts. Also, one experiences strong emotional states, emotional highs, as if your being or self resides in the area of thought. And interestingly enough, many great people were able to achieve this area of intellectual meditation. And that is really what made them so great. This is what I believe. For instance, um, you find that many uh, great tzaddikim or Torah giants are totally obsessed, preoccupied, and mentally involved in learning Torah. Now, what that does for them is their awareness of Torah is so great that their creative ability is tremendously enhanced. They can produce tremendous outputs of informational knowledge because they are so wrapped up in the area. You find that not true not only among many Torah giants, but you find that true also among many uh, secular giants. For instance, Einstein was a classic. He was totally immersed in relativity or theoretical physics. In fact, that's what he, he, that's what he used to do all day. He used to love to think. And that is one of the reasons why he was able to perceive uh, new relationships which were hidden by many of, to many of the other scientists. Greatness in any area of knowledge is really achieved by a total immersion in that no area of knowledge, especially if it's over frequent periods, if it's over many, many years. <clears throat> the awareness of the individual toward that area is extremely enhanced, very heightened, where it's almost as if you and the area of knowledge merge. That's how... Um, that's how ontologically hooked up you are to that area. If it happens in the area of spirituality, then it's almost as if the spiritual world that you're in, you actually reside in. In other words, you experience a strong emotional state, emotional high, almost as if your being or self resides in the area of thought. And if it's spirituality, you almost feel as if you reside in spiritual worlds.